Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome or welcome back to the Thoughts That Manifest podcast. I'm Elle, and I am a mindset and manifestation coach who aims to inspire you to awaken your mind to the limitless potential that is within you. Hello, everybody. Courtney and I are back today with another episode, and we are so excited for this episode because we are going to be talking all about how to have healthy communication, how to navigate conflict in a healthy way, and so much more. So really excited to get into this. How are you today, Courtney? I'm good. Good. Living the dream life. Tired. One of these days we'll get an episode where you're not tired. Maybe. Maybe. I could just always sleep, and that's my default set. Sleep mode. Constant sleep mode. Love it. Well, we're not going to waste too much time here. We're going to kind of just hop into the episode. So I figured starting off, reflect on how we kind of navigate conflict. Or actually, you know what? Let's talk about how when we had a conflict in the past that maybe didn't end up in a healthy way or like maybe unhealthy ways we navigated conflict in the past. Can you think back to like a conflict you had with someone else where it got to like an unhealthy level or maybe your reactions weren't entirely how you wanted them to be, but in that moment, that's how you reacted, things like that. Probably being younger and just being like very reactionary and not taking, like not making space for myself before or during a conflict. I think it's important to give yourself hold space inside yourself so you can reflect on like how you're feeling and how the situation is escalating. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of that. So I would just get really angry and it would become like dysfunctional screaming matches with like my sister or like me and my sister would like physically harm each other. Like we literally get in like fist fights and stuff because that first of all, that was like how we grew up. That's what we knew as communication which isn't healthy which obviously we don't do anymore but yeah like not being taught how to process your emotions at all so I think the other thing that's really useful is like if you can learn to process your emotions even like as you're experiencing them I know my own communication style is more along the lines of when there's a conflict it's more along the lines of okay I need time to process how I feel and then communicate what I'm feeling. And that can be difficult, I think, in certain situations like work situations, because everyone expects everything like immediately. And so a lot of the time at work, I think my style could be seen as more avoidant, not that I'm actually avoiding it, but just because I don't have the time to process how I'm feeling as conflict arises. I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna do what I need to do that, like do my work that needs to get done. Because I don't even have like time to sit with this and reflect. I've just got to get stuff done. Yeah, it's really interesting. Because it's like, you know in yourself that you need that time to reflect, but with the work environment and the job that you have, you don't have that time to reflect. So instead, you kind of push your emotions aside and just keep doing your job. Whereas in like a relationship situation, like you and Trevor, for example, you are more likely to have that time to be able to process and have healthier conflict. So that would be really interesting to kind of think about how you can improve conflict at work when you're not necessarily able to have that time and space have you ever thought about that that's so interesting no because all that happens at work is I get like this immediate when I think about addressing the conflict at work I also get anxious because it's a lot of people that I don't necessarily know how they communicate and it's really difficult I think communicating with people you're not comfortable with because you also don't know if if they can communicate and if they're honestly mature enough to want to communicate in a healthy way. And so uh, sometimes with people I don't know, I almost feel like it's futile for me to try to like come at them from like this very healthy, like whole holistic place of like, okay, like I want to resolve our conflict and like move on and have good workflow because I'm like, do they everything up to this point from their attitude has told me that they you know they could care less so I'm not even going to bother what I honestly do is I end up just like not even giving it any thought I'm like okay that's just how they operate I'm not going to let it affect me and I'm just going to move on 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think super helpful to kind of think about as well, because I think one of the most frustrating kinds of conflict is conflict with a stranger or conflict with someone you don't know very well because like you said you don't know how they're going to react in conflict how they're going to handle it how they're going to communicate and if yeah they I want to actually have a healthy interaction or if they've even been taught like the difference between dysfunctional communication and healthy communication yeah, yeah, 100%. And in that point, it's like, usually when I'm in a situation like that, I have to kind of remind myself like, okay, the way that they're reacting right now, it's not a reflection of like who I am. It's a reflection of who they are. And how I choose to react to their actions is a reflection of who I am. So let me take control of my reactions real quick, check myself and not take it so personally. Honestly, one thing that I've realized is that half the time when people aren't able to have healthy communication during a conflict, it's usually because they feel either attacked or the conflict at hand is triggering this wound connected to their self-worth. So automatically they're like, I'm worthless and they go into defense mode. I think the, the language the language is pretty important. What would you say is like your conflict that you would, like how you used to? Yeah, I was very conflict avoidant most of my life. I would do everything I could to avoid conflict. It just feels icky. It really does. It just, it. I would get so anxious. For me, when someone raises their voice at me, my inner child comes out and automatically I want to hide. I want to cry. Yeah. Most of the time I do cry when people raise their voice at me. I'm really sensitive to that. I was always hyper sensitive to the energies around me growing up. So with my dad like yelling all the time, whenever I felt someone's energy shift to like their voice being raised, that was automatically a trigger to me and being like, oh my gosh, this person's mad at me. I have upset them. I did something wrong. And then it kind of really hits this wound inside of me, this inner child wound that's like, okay, there's something wrong with me and who I am. And I did something to upset someone. And I don't like that feeling. Like, I don't like knowing that I upset somebody. How do you feel about like passive aggressive communication? Because I, I hate that shit too. Like people who like slam dishes and slam countertops and like avoid eye contact and huff and puff the whole time. Like all of that stuff is just like really it's such a hostile, hostile environment. It's yes. like a walking on eggshells environment. It does. There's actually like a, a there's like one really specific nurse I work with who has like a t- like tens tens and tens of like bedside years of experience I don't even think I said that in words that made sense but she's got like 20 years of experience and she literally like doesn't look at you doesn't barely tries to talk to you while you're giving her report she's already like doing her own like patient care assessment and like undoing anything that you have in the room and then she always finds one thing that like maybe you you missed and she'll purposely point it out and then like wants to tell you that you did it wrong. Mm. And I feel like that's such passive aggressive behavior. And actually in nursing, we actually call that incivility. So it's basically like a communication style that people adopted that I think is really dysfunctional that they bring into work environments is called incivility. And it's basically like a form of workplace bullying. And now there's like all this research that shows that passive aggressive behavior at work is incivility. Wow. And bullying. It's a form of bullying. Absolutely. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And it's interesting because I feel like obviously the way that someone communicates, the way that somebody handles conflict always kind of ties back to childhood. And I actually um, have some examples that I kind of wanted to mention here that I had written down. For example, so let's say as a kid, you had a parent who was like always blaming you for problems that were present. You were treated as the scapegoat oftentimes. And if there were problems, you were always the one to blame So this I find usually now in adulthood relationships with your partner or with other people, when someone brings a problem to your attention, 
it automatically would cause you to shut down because you feel blamed. And at the core, it triggers those childhood moments. And that's when your inner child comes out, reacts, and feels unloved or unworthy. And also, if you're someone who struggles with self-worth, this can also make you play like the guilt card almost. So for example, somebody brings a conflict to your attention and automatically the response is, oh, I know I'm not good enough. I can never do anything right. It's always my fault. And automatically goes to this like guilt trip of trying to make you feel like you're the reason as to why they don't feel like they're good enough or you're the reason as to why like, you know, this person's not like they're not good enough for you and that you deserve better kind of mentality guilt trip card that people can play when they have that hurt. Yeah, that hurt, wounded inner child. So what they do is they turn to guilt and manipulation. And oftentimes it's because in childhood they were always blamed or their parents were always like telling them that they were wrong. And they I wonder if that's what happened to my mom from her mom. I would not doubt it. My mom's like manipulation game, let me tell you, it was unmatched by many people, like maybe Kris Jenner had the same level and if my mom had like the ability like the business savvy she could have done the same level of like contract manipulation and stuff but like you know different families but like her level was unmatched oh absolutely no I believe that 100% and then you have the one who struggles with an abandonment wound so if you have an abandonment wound oftentimes I find that this kind of person would react in a way where it's like they threaten to leave or they say why don't you just leave me then or they you know literally do leave the house and slam the door behind them I used to do that (laughs) so yeah oftentimes I find that reflects back to some sort of abandonment wound which I mean in general you know you have said in the past that your mom has made you feel felt like abandoned many times left behind and even you know kids of divorce like for me I find that that was you know I felt abandoned by my dad in a sense many times especially when he left me in the parking lot but yeah and then you have the emotional neglect wound and so oftentimes if someone was emotionally neglected during childhood there's a few ways that they can kind of respond and react in conflict one is they either shut down completely that's me me completely (laughs) or two they start crying and they can't control crying that's both both. of us yeah that's both of us honestly and oftentimes it's because you know they were never taught how to properly deal with emotions they had to you know be their own emotional support system so they tended to find ways to self-soothe being a parent is so important and right there's no perfect way to be a parent but let me just tell you There's a lot of things online about how like millennials are so soft about how they baby their children. Okay, I'm sorry that I want to teach my kid how to be able to be a functional adult and not tell them like, if you want something to cry about, I'll give you something and then send them into their room and ignore them. And then they have all these feelings and they don't know what to do with it. Because guess what? All you're doing is creating generational trauma and somebody who can't function in the real world as an adult who's gonna drink too much and smoke too much weed and avoid their feelings and have a terrible life instead of someone who's well-rounded and has a grasp on reality and how to function properly um i'm so like sorry i get so passionate about these tiktok videos that talk about people being soft it's like i'm sorry i actually want to deal with my problems and change this dysfunctional loop doesn't make me soft it make actually makes me really friggin mature yeah no i 100 percent agree yeah because sorry that-, that you were avoiding about your problems <laughs> <laughs> let it out girl let it out <laughs> But yeah, no, I agree. And that's what happens with, you know, when someone is emotionally neglect as a child, now they're left to self-soothe. And oftentimes doing so is either one, crying, 
So that's how they deal with it is they just cry and cry and cry. Or two, it's they're in their room isolated, constantly thinking about, okay, well, how did I do that wrong? Like, what did I do to make this them so upset at me? And then they're intellectualizing their feelings instead of actually processing them. Mm. And it's almost like a form of rumination where they're like worrying and obsessing about something that's already happened that they can't change. And even some people will obsess and ruminate about social interactions and judge themselves so harshly that they actually, instead of processing the reality of what happened and how they really feel, they'll actually start to create like a false narrative where the other person, their ego comes in and now the other person is actually like their enemy, Mm -hmm. which is also super dysfunctional. Absolutely. And then you have, you know, the children who dealt with a physically aggressive, abusive environment. Now, I am not a psychologist, a licensed therapist or anything. So this is just me on like an outside perspective because I was around a lot of like people in my life who were physically abused growing up. And I have been in environments where conflict like that, physical aggression was relevant. And so I find that a lot of children who grew up in environments like this or around environments like this have a lot of stored anger from the past. And so Mm -hmm. when there's conflict, oftentimes that stored anger comes out and that will lead to them wanting to throw things, wanting to punch things, wanting to just let their anger and emotions out out of nowhere. It's like uncontrollable almost. There's, it's basically like, not as a psychologist, but as a physical person who like went through these things and experiences exactly what you're talking about. What happens is I basically feel like I have so much feeling that I physically almost like an energetic type of feeling like I, I almost have like so much annoyance and frustration and rage and I feel like I can't verbalize it that I physically feel like I have to break some shit or throw something or punch something I feel like it's also a combination of of not being able to be heard when you're a kid about how you're feeling because like even if you get in trouble you have feelings around that Mm -hmm. and if your feelings are invalidated because you're literally taught that you're lesser and or that like you're not allowed to have emotions because you're lesser because you're a child And that's a lot, what is it, not gen, are they gen, they're not gen X. Boomers are the generation before our parents. Those are their parents, I think. Yeah, I I think think you're gen X, technically. And I feel like that was like the attitude. And it still is. Like my husband's working through things with someone in his family. I don't want to say everything, but we're like, that's still the perspective that he's meeting even to this day. Like he's an adult now saying like, this is still my experience. And he's still meeting this narrative of like, well, you're the child. So like your opinion is lesser. Yeah. And it's like, I hate that. I'm an adult now voicing this. Like it, and it hasn't changed. The story hasn't changed. So when is it going to be like a reality that like a child may be a child, but their perspective is still valid because they're a human. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you can't yeah. acknowledge that as a parent. I'm sorry. In my opinion, you're failing as a parent in that aspect. Even if like you're the parent and you don't agree, like you don't agree that your kid should have a tantrum. That's fine, but they're already having it. They're actively in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. I think a lot of the times when a child is having a tantrum that can trigger a parent in different ways. One, it probably triggers how they were treated when they were having tantrums as a kid. Right. And just the like stimulation of it. Yeah. And then the overstimulation was going to be the the other thing. Cause it's like some people can't handle loud noises because it really overstimulates them and makes them stressed out essentially. I think that's why it's like really, this is like a side thing, but it's really important to get really really honest with yourself about how hard it is to raise a child and if you're doing it as a single parent or if you're doing it in a situation where like you could become a single parent I think about having kids and then I think about okay what if something happens to my husband what if something happens in our relationship and it totally changes and we don't want to be together it's a hundred percent a real fact of life that could happen and then we have two separate homes and we have to co-parent and like what's what's all that gonna look like and like my concern with like ultimately like parenting and everything I think and again side tangent isn't like what about the good days 
my thought process goes, what about the really, really hard days? Yeah, what about like think worst case scenario? Yeah. And not in like a fear mentality of like, of like, how can I prepare myself now and be honest with myself about the things that I should go to therapy on and I should work on so that like I have tools and the communication ability to like look at my child and be like, I'm a human too and I'm not perfect and I can't deal with everything that you're dealing with and myself. It's a lot because obviously you have a lot to deal with and that's why you're kind of experiencing this. And just like you have that, so does mommy. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the things I admire about my sister is she actually shows my niece like her anxiety and she'll just honestly tell her like, yeah, sometimes there's too much stuff on my plate and I get overwhelmed. And I'm like, okay, I feel like that's good to show her because then she understands that like, it's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to take stuff off of her plate. That's like not a priority. And it's okay to say no. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find that it's so important to kind of teach your, or I guess lead by example, right? When it comes to communicating and dealing with conflict around your kids, lead by example, because, you know, I've I've heard two sides of the story. You know, you have the household where the parents have unhealthy communication and conflict, and then you have the other family that hides conflict altogether where the child conflict it's like parents who are like we can't argue in front of our kids because like it's gonna make them like anxious or whatever and that makes them feel like they're not supposed to have conflict at all so when it comes up they don't even know how to handle it right or they just like exactly basically what i was gonna say is like they don't see it so they in their mind they start to internalize like oh well a good relationship doesn't have any conflict And then they grow up and they have a relationship and they meet conflict and they're like, well, this is the wrong relationship. I've got to get out of it because there shouldn't be any conflict. And you're like, no, conflict is actually healthy if you know how to navigate it in healthy ways. I think the other thing that's important is to give yourself like grace and no guilt and no shame when you're in a relationship with someone that you care about. And you're both trying to work on growing and being better and working on communication and working on having a functional relationship. You're going to meet points where you revert back to dysfunctional communication or dysfunctional relationship cycles. And they're not necessarily red flags. I don't view them as red flags if both of you are actively intaking feedback from the other person and self-reflecting on what you need to improve on, why you need to improve on it, and how that hurts you and the other person and the relationship. Absolutely. Having healthy conflict, I think, takes a lot of accountability. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of is taking accountability. Because again, when people take accountability, it means they're saying, okay, I have flaws Mm -hmm. and I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it messes with their self-worth. Like think about somebody who grows up and like, they don't have an intact self-worth like you were talking about one of the first communication styles where they take like if something is wrong is like oh I'm not good enough they're gonna literally run wild with that and be like well if I admit that I did something wrong then that means I'm not perfect which means I'm not good enough which means you know and that could send them down a whole depression spiral spiral absolutely so I think You know, when it comes to navigating conflict in healthy ways, step number one would be having an open conversation with your partner when you're both at a like neutral space, not in the midst of arguing, but like when you're just sitting there together, having an open conversation about your communication style, how you prefer to handle conflict, even, you know, getting deep and talking about like where it might even stem from, like how you handle conflict, where it stems from. I actually kind of politely disagree. I actually think that the first step in like my perspective would be self-check-in. You need to check in with yourself and get real about your ability for accountability. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that was besides the point. I meant like when you're you're with your partner in general, you two together, but the self-check-in absolutely always. And then I think, I think you were about to get to it is like when you are having conflict, to kind of observe yourself as like an outside person too and be like okay like how am I handling this even after the fact and then be like okay how did I handle that and then think and then you can talk through with your partner and be like well why did I handle it like that like what 
led us to this point, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Reflecting reflecting on your triggers, really. And being like, well, why did I internalize them so much? And then I would say, ask yourself, have I been creating a safe space for my partner to feel Mm -hmm. like they can communicate the conflict to me? Because I find a lot of the times there's a lot of not safe, like that safeness is not there in a lot of relationships because of the way that one partner may react when a conflict is brought up. So you have to be really honest with yourself, like you were saying, that self-check-in. Am I creating a safe space where my partner feels safe to bring up conflict to me? Because if not, your partner will probably never bring up conflict and therefore it leads to resentment. And then eventually your partner is going to, you know, start to distance themselves from you. They're not going to feel as connected to you. The attraction might go away and Mm -hmm. you might even find that your partner's criticizing you constantly because of that resentment. I wonder, I feel like you've talked about this before and I've done it too. The, uh, the opposite of that is that like if you come from like an abusive home whether it's like physical or like verbally emotionally abusive if your part even if your partner does create like a safe space where you can voice how you're feeling or like what's going on you still revert back to feeling unsafe like there's been plenty of times where like I've told my husband that I'm like worried he's gonna yell at me or scared he's gonna like hit me or something and he's like I would never do that This is like an open space. Tell me how you feel. Like, I'm not going to get mad. I'm just going to take stock of like your perspective and then think about, okay, well, how did that actually happen? And like, why? And I'm like, oh, I thought you were just going to get mad and yell. And he's like, why would you think that? Yeah, no, because you were so used to that reaction for so long that it's, it's like, that's what your ego is familiar with. So it prepares yourself for that reaction even if that's not necessarily going to happen right and and that's a lot for a person to have to work through as well is getting to a safe space within themselves we all need to go to therapy oh I mean of course therapy is super helpful you have to talk about what you went through even like I hear like brain spotting therapy can be really helpful what the heck is that something it's like something crazy I don't know if it's called like EDMR or something I could be saying that wrong but it's like they do this brain spotting thing through some sort of eye thing I don't even know it's like eye eye therapy or I don't even know but you should look into it because I heard it works really well for intensive like abusive traumas things like that EMDR online eye movement therapy I'm just doing a quick Google search. Supposedly it works pretty well. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy is a mental health treatment technique. This method involves moving your eyes a specific way while you process traumatic memories. EMDR's goal is to help you heal from trauma or other distressing life experiences. I'm just saying, I've heard that it's worked very well for a lot of people. That's interesting. That says people use it for PTSD, anxiety, childhood trauma. That's pretty cool. Check that out if that feels like it calls to you at all. I really want to do breath work, but mm-hmm. like, I just, okay. I don't know why it makes me feel like icky and maybe explore this, but the idea of going to like a full like breath work class of like 40 people and having people like scream and cry in the middle of their breath work just makes me feel icky like if I'm gonna do breath work I honestly like want to do it with one other person and maybe people I'm like comfortable with I'm not necessarily in a place where I could be in a room with other people who are like having an emotional breakdown through their breath work and feel comfortable enough to have my own my question to you would be do you get uncomfortable with other people's emotions emotional pain I think I'm just uncomfortable with like strangers knowing my emotional pain as I'm feeling it if that makes sense okay yeah so, so you don't you don't mind other people's emotional pain like being around it but you don't want them to see your emotional pain no so like I'm not comfortable with strangers having all of those feelings probably because I can't do anything to help them. And and I think like I would be so distracted by that that I couldn't actually express myself properly. Like if I did it with you and you were having an emotional breakthrough, I could just like hold your hand because I know you and still leave space for myself to experience my own thing. Mm -hmm. But I think 
I could do that with a stranger. Yeah, no, I mean, that would take a lot of vulnerability for sure to do that with a stranger. Which, like, you've seen me, like, naked. You've seen me funerals. Like, you've seen all my faces. So you're seeing this face right now. So it's, like, with you, I'm, like, okay, I can, like, have space and hold space at the same time. Stranger, I'm, like... Like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I get that for sure. And I think sometimes those kinds of environments are specifically created for people to let out their emotions without anybody feeling like they have to do anything, though, to help them. Like, if everyone else has a deep emotional reaction and I'm just chilling, I'm (laughs) going to be like, what's wrong with me even more? True. No, I mean, I get it. Yeah, 100%. Do what makes you comfortable, honestly. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk a little bit about how to navigate those uncomfortable conversations when conflict comes up or when there's conversations that come up that need to be addressed. And one example that I kind of had put down was... You have like the best one ever. You already told me about it like a week ago. I wonder if you're going to say it now or after. So the example that I had put down, I was like, let's say, for example, I went up to my husband and I was just like, Hey, I feel like lately we haven't been spending a lot of quality time together. I would love to spend more time with you. And let's say, for example, I'm not saying this is his reaction, but let's say, for example, this is his reaction. That every time you bring up or every time I bring up the fact that I want to spend more quality time with him, he automatically says, oh no, like we spend so much time together. We don't need to spend more time together and kind of goes on this invalidating how you feel because in that moment you're expressing how you feel like you don't spend enough time together and here he is saying I don't know what you're talking about we spend enough time together right it kind of shuts you down yeah that is invalidating it makes you feel as if you're asking for too much so what I think is going to be really important in a scenario like this is this is why marriage relationships it takes compromising And so instead of saying something like, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, we always spend time together, it's important to acknowledge that, you know, they could spend more time, but also holding the boundary of still needing their own alone time. So Mm -hmm. a response could be, I'm definitely willing to spend more time with you, but it's also really important for me to still have space to focus on my hobbies. Let's see other, if we can find something that works for both of us. Yeah, as I say, I think the other important thing is communicating on your types of quality time together. Like, is it enough for one partner to like sit and watch a movie together and they feel like that's enough quality time? Or does the other partner consider more of like eating dinner like cooking and eating dinner without phones and without a TV on where they're like talking is that quality time. Yeah, that is so important to kind of understand like what your right. definition of quality time is. You guys could be sitting down on the couch watching TV every night together before you go to bed and then dozing off and still feel and one person could be left feeling like well, we didn't spend any time together. We just watched TV and went to bed. Yeah. yeah. And so in one person's mind, they're like, well, we spend every single night together what are you talking about when really it's not about how much time it's about what you're doing together yes exactly and I think that's where this whole concept of the simple fact that your reality is not everybody else's reality same thing in friendships yep because you and I have had even discourse in our friendship because I am a chatty person who likes to do stuff with people. And for you, just being around and in the same space as someone can be a lot of quality time. So both of us over the years have had to adjust where you, you when you are here, you're willing to like go out and do more things than maybe you would on your own because you know that like the experiencing things is part of my quality time. Mm-hmm. But they're also draining for you. And yeah, so it's like finding that balance. Yeah, and then for me, sometimes I feel like we're not actually doing anything if we're home, which I mean, I think this has also changed now that I've gotten older and my life has changed but like I felt like we weren't doing anything and I was like we're not spending any time together because we're not doing anything and you like I need to be doing an activity you're like it's okay to not do anything and in a in a good way I feel like it also pushed both of us 
to reflect on like like for me it definitely reflected on me like wanting to be more okay with being home and being okay with like no you need to rest and resting with someone you care about it can be quality time and that was a big deal for me because I always felt like well if I wasn't actually doing something then I'm doing nothing then I'm lazy and you kind of changed that perspective for me and it's very interesting too because I think back on my own childhood and how confusing at times it kind of was for me because I have a mom who was constantly active, doing things all of the time, could not sit still. Even when she was working, done with work, she would be working on something else. And Mm -hmm. then it was like she was always cleaning the house, always doing something. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I had my dad who lost his job, got really depressed, sat on the couch, did nothing really besides he did clean and cook, uh, like have sporadic moments where he cleaned and cooked when he was home. But other than that, he was watching TV on the couch doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And that was considered lazy, unproductive. And because he was in a state of depression. So I always struggled with finding the balance and like trying to figure out like which one is right and which one is maybe not right for me or like how to find balance and like you had both and you had like both yeah. ends of the spectrum but nothing in the middle yeah it was it was very interesting and I think that's something that even my mom struggles with not to speak on her behalf but if you know I go to visit her and I'm sitting down on the couch with my stepdad and we're just kind of chilling on the couch it really can trigger her and bring her back to you know moments from my, my childhood where my dad was always on the couch not motivated, not wanting to do anything. And she's such like an action oriented person that she always has to stay active and focused. Yeah, I feel like even when we would go visit for dinner, like she'd be up cooking dinner or she'd be doing the dishes or she would have some email she had to check. Yeah. Yeah. Even now, even today, like, and it's funny because I think she realizes at times that it can bother me because we have had conversations about it. And I had called her yesterday to see what she was doing and I could sense resistance in her voice when she told me that like yeah even though I'm out of work early today I'm still going to be doing work when I get home and like I won't be able to devote my time to you kind of energy but like very hesitant to say it to me because she knows because we've had conversations before about how I like to spend quality time with her visiting when she's not distracted by her work and that's very rare because she works a lot. And actually, to go off on a tangent, this can kind of tie into this conversation, but I had recently also recorded an episode. I don't know if you listened to it, Courtney, but it was about embracing your divine feminine energy. I didn't. I did listen to your infertility episode, though, yesterday. Oh, shit. That was an intense episode. Well, the one about the divine feminine, what I had been talking about in there is how easy it is for us to kind of get in the way of allowing our partners to step into their masculine energy mm. and how because like struggle with that because if my husband has some masculine crap he wants to go do I'm like I'm all for you doing that and I support you like he plays basketball in the men's league he rides motorcycles with guys he rides bicycles with guys if he wants to work on his dirt bike and not help put away the groceries but he brought all the groceries up three floors I'm like go do you I got this yeah so and that's and that's like emotionally maybe I'm blocking him yeah that's like that's one example but another example would be like okay do you feel like you are always needing to be in control do you how do you talk to him when he wants to cook for you? How do you talk to him when he wants to handle bills? How do you like that? He handles of- all okay, so without turning it into a relationship thing. He doesn't really like to cook. He's kind of like you in the sense like he wants to enjoy the meal, but he doesn't want to enjoy the journey. Yeah. Or doesn't enjoy the journey. So he's okay with like just letting me but we we like co-op a lot of stuff. Like we both we both don't get fixated, I think, on like male role versus female role. We just fixate on like, okay, we're partners and we're two people. Because I know the outside world is very like masculine energy, feminine energy, boy, girl, whatever is happening. I mean, we all have masculine and feminine in us. Right. And even I I saw like a video and I was like, okay, of like a 
person who had done who was a girl who transitioned to being a boy who regretted it and actually wanted to transition back to being a girl and like their description of what led them to transitioning up up to wanting to transition into being a boy has actually been my entire life experience and I was like but I didn't feel the need that I like felt like I wanted to be a boy. I just felt like I always was a masculine female. Like I had a lot of tomboy energy and I don't know if it's like my upbringing or whatever, but I just felt like I was okay with existing in that realm of like, okay, maybe I have slightly higher masculine energy than other females. And but like, I accept me and that's okay. Like I don't need to change, like physically change who I am to match like my spiritual energy, if that Mm. makes sense. Yeah, I didn't feel that pressure. I like all aspects. I think like it's a spectrum of like female and male energy. And so I try to acknowledge that with my husband too, and just give him like, the respect that like he's a person. So like, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna cook, he should get a say. And like, we should talk about like, okay, well, like, what are your favorite foods? What do you what should we buy? Like, what like include him in those things and he does the same thing in other aspects I had an example and it flew out of my head of how well, he does it might come back but I actually think that it, oh, so it's kind of finances oh about finances He's very good with like organizing the finances and when things are due and when we get paid and how much and how to organize all that and I'm honestly still getting used to it but like we'll have what we call like finance meetings where he'll like help me and we do like some like sassy bickering but we're honestly both laughing at the same time and we'll make jokes about how like we are laughing and like kind of being like a little like snippy at each other but we think it's funny because other people literally get divorced over not being able to talk about these things and like obviously you got to talk about this shit Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you have a good grasp on your energy then. But for me, it's something that I've struggled with. And what I've realized is that growing up, I was always kind of shown the example of my mom who was always on the go taking care of everything on her own. There was never really like she would search for like a guy to help her, but like they were always the wrong guy until she met my stepdad but when she she met my stepdad that was I was already moved out of the house at that point so I didn't see that relationship I mostly just saw her in these relationships where they were unhealthy toxic and she was always having to provide and be the provider be the caretaker be the nurturer be all of it in one and then because I was modeled that I think it created some trust wounds within me where letting go of control and allowing my husband to take the lead in certain things really stresses me out. And so I'm not even giving him the space half the time to kind of show up and take on certain roles that maybe he wants to take on or display energy that he wants to display because I'm too much in control and afraid to let go. Anxiety around it. I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's about like, I think it's important, I'm sure you already have, but I think like just speaking in terms of like other people who might hear your thing and be like, oh shoot, that's me. I think it's just important when that happens to be really honest with your partner about it and vice versa. Like if you're the person who feels like you want to show up in certain ways in the relationship and like you're not getting to just prompt your partner and be like, hey, like, you know, I'd like to show up in like X, Y, and Z ways in our relationship and make it more of a more of a partnership versus like you taking everything on because like one I don't think it's good like I don't want you to feel pressure to take everything on and two like why do you feel that way like I'm maybe I haven't said anything like up to this point but like I'm I'm here you know it's it is a partnership like let's do this shit together yeah yeah exactly and like you said yeah I have had had these conversations before and then I realized that is a me problem essentially and having to do that inner work and allowing myself to let go and not need to be in control of literally everything and I think it also just stems back to just being living a very hyper independent childhood and being the older sibling and just yeah I do have a lot of control mindset around cleanliness oh yeah yeah, which do. my husband kind of shares, but not at my level. And he's had to just like, stop, stop me in what I'm doing and give me a hug and be like, you need to reset because it's not life or death. I mean, that was one thing that me and you struggled with when we lived together. Yeah, because I'm just clean. I'm not messy, but I'm definitely super lenient. 
And I think it's because I watched how crazy obsessed my parents were with cleaning that I was like, I can't be like that. Yeah. And then I'm the opposite where like my house had like at one point there were like probably 13 to 15 people in a three bedroom family house and there was no control, no say, everything was super messy. Like I remember multiple times like having to like clean out behind our entertainment system because not only was it full of like pet fur, but like the pets had like peed and pooped back there and now the wires were broken and the stuff didn't work. And that kind of stuff, I think, probably traumatized me. Oh, yeah, so now I'm like, now that I have my own space and I kind of, my and my husband's really great about honoring these things and protecting like outside perspectives. Because recently he's had some family members be like, well, I know what it's like to live with her because you can't even have a cup on the counter because she'll put it in the sink. And he's like, well, you don't know how she grew up. And now that she has control over her own space, yeah, she's just really responsible. And that's, you know, that's her choice. And she just respects that, like, this is our home and she wants to keep it nice. And I'm really appreciative that, like, he sees and understands how much of a struggle that was. But at the same time, he might be enabling me to. Yeah, I mean, and I think about your needle chart, not to, like, mention astrology, but every person that I know with their moon in the sixth house has like has struggled with this because organizing oh yeah the sixth house it rules over organizing health and fitness and your day-to-day routines the internet doesn't help okay i can't go online and watch people color code their refrigerator and not come home and have a huge desire to do the same thing yeah yeah. satisfying well because your moon is in the sixth house you find emotional fulfillment through those things through your health through fitness through working out through organizing like you need to be in a stable organized environment and you need to feel healthy and you need to work out in order to feel good emotionally it's just in your nature the moon in the sixth house represents that Mm, but you're talking about like having a healthy balance there are times where like i used to be the mentality of of like oh my god like there's dishes in the sink I need to wash them right now like the sink needs to be clean my sink is full of dishes right now and out of you I do not care (laughs) okay I cooked and I am tired and those are gonna stay there and they're not my chore so I'm not gonna do it my question to you is when Trevor is feeling tired and there's dishes in the sink do you react the same way to him or do you get mad no because he was tired and he slept in today and I, I woke up and I looked at all the dishes and I was like I have the energy to do these and I could do some and I could help him out Or I could leave all these here and be like, screw you because it's your chore. Or I could get mad and go wake him up and be like, can't believe you haven't done any of your chores and you've been doing all your hobbies. And I did like a little self-check-in when I was cooking, which is why I like cooking because it gave me that grounded space. And I was like, okay, he's tired. I have time. We can always talk about this later about him, you know, hey, don't overload yourself socially that like you're not handling your responsibilities because at the same time, like should be holding, you know, each other accountable, you know, like if you're overbooking yourself socially and you're not doing like your adult things to adult your life, you got to find good balance. And I was like, in the short term, I'm just going to help him out because he's tired and he needs his rest and I want him to rest. Oh, there you go. Look at that. (laughs) it's it's interesting i mean navigating conflict and communicating your needs it's all just it can be interesting but i think the most important part of communicating your needs and working through conflict is remembering not to place blame not using the the word you like you make me feel this way you did this you did that because that will automatically create a very heightened emotional state and it will cause outbursts my point where I had examples on here, it says, instead of using something like, I am not mad, you can say, I feel hurt by the way I was treated. Same with the you situation you were talking about. You always do X. You don't consider how I feel. And this talks about how like, the person can no longer focus on your actual message. And instead, they stop listening when you say you and they 
internalized that and now they're on this defensive track which is what you were talking about and instead switching you to I so you can again say like I really felt hurt by what happened last night I was confused at why people uh, why you felt upset can you help me understand I feel uncomfortable when I feel like you're shutting down it's like I don't matter and it creates a scenario in which you're not placing blame on the other person. You're just saying your perspective of how you felt and how you interpreted everything. I think that makes it easier for the other person to understand where you're coming from and maybe even like understand themselves and their shortcomings. Yep. Yep. 100%. And ultimately realizing that how you experience a conflict is going to be a different reality for how someone you're conflicting with experiences the conflict and kind of being open to their perspective as well and realizing that like they could be experiencing the emotions of the conflict differently than you did even if you you know it's the same conflict you're focusing on people can still have different experiences surrounding that conflict but that that's so similar to the thing that we talked about about when my sister came on about how like you can have two siblings who grew up with the same parents in the same house, but they have two totally different childhoods because they have two different relationships and perspectives with someone. And the same thing happens with like you in a conflict. The other biggest thing that my husband actually taught me was that when you have a conflict and this can apply to any type of relationship could be our friend our friendship even sisters brothers anyone is understanding that there's both of you and then there's the problem outside of you and it's not you guys as enemies pitted against each other it's you guys working as a partnership to find a resolution for the problem that's external to both of you and when he explained that to me I was like, wow, that actually makes me feel like we're in this together mm-hmm. and we both have like an equal say on like, okay, how are we going to compromise to find a solution versus like you did this and that really pissed me off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just acknowledging uh, each other's conflict styles. Like if someone needs space and the other person wants to talk, we'll compromise. All right, let's take 15 minutes to kind of reflect on our own and then come back after 15 minutes and have the conversation both needs are essentially getting met in that moment but you're also respecting each other's conflict styles so yeah i think that was a great episode if you have anything else to say you can but i feel like we talked about a lot talked about so many things i think the only thing i'll say is like in all the references where we refer to romantic relationships just remember that all of those tools, tricks, and scenarios can also apply to friendships, brother-sisters, sister-sisters, brother-brothers, whatever, any type of relationship you have, all of those, like all of those tips and everything, all that can apply to any relationship where you have communication errors or good communication. And you might have good communication with certain people in your life and that's good and you can use things that work in that relationship in other ways and see if it works in other relationships as well yeah absolutely 100 percent agreed well guys that concludes today's episode we cannot wait to talk to you guys again next week until next time bye